Hey everyone, it's Raghu, and I'm back with Mind Rolling, and uh, I'm really happy today to uh, have a, somebody that I've known for quite some time, but we haven't seen or talked to each other in, gee, I don't even think, what, his name is Jeff Walker, just say hi. <laughs> hey Raghu, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. But as I said, I don't think, I think it was before the pandemic, until we got yeah, in touch just it recently, was. yeah. Exactly. So, uh, talking about a lot of water under the bridge that continues to flow uh, quite That's strongly, true. shall we say? We were hanging out with Sharon and Joseph and a gang of yeah. gang of interesting yeah. people. Yeah, I met Jeff through Sharon Salzberg, and uh, I uh, I would say when anybody asks me, any friend of Sharon is a friend of mine. Is <laughs> the reality exactly right? exactly. So, Jeff does a lot of things. I mean, your bio is a page long, just about. And, um, but just succinctly, Jeff has been in the finance business. He is, uh, has done some incredible philanthropic initiatives, which we're going to hear about today a little bit. And some of the things he's doing are right. Uh, in line with Love, Serve, Remember and the kinds of things we are interested in and what we've been doing representing Ramdas, And what, just uh, why don't you give us the current, what, what your most favorite uh, projects <laughs> are right now? Because you got so many of them. I don't even know how you do I it. do. Um, I look for things that I can be partners with other people to do. And to go after something that has a material impact to lower suffering and enhancing joy in the world. And so when you look for those opportunities and you find people that you can partner with. I love music. Um, and so uh, since seventh grade, I've been looking to ways to play with others and with my own unique sound. And they have your own unique sounds. And we do something together that we couldn't have done by ourselves. And then we have a purpose. We have an audience. And so uh, um, whether it's um, flourishing and uh, I chair the Contemplative Science Center down at the University of Virginia, and we work together with 16 other universities to find the tools to help people flourish and to uh, to go after well-being in all the different shapes and forms, you know, whether that's meditation or whether that's uh, yoga and body movement or whether that's breathing practices or whether that's peer-to-peer -peer work. You know, how do we how do we start going after the issue of, you know, one out of 13 kids before 21 attempt suicide? And I saw uh, that. A, Jesus, God. It's terrible. And they're arriving without the skills, you know. And so how do we give them skills of social emotional learning? How do we give them tools to handle that anxiety? That simple breathing practice, right? Mm. That simple quiet your mind a little bit. Um, a simple reaching out to others, you know, who can be partners with you and, and work as peers with you. So important. And so and I think that's what we're what I'm excited about is we're finding tools of all kinds to start addressing those. Um, everything from things that have been used for thousands of years, as we know. And so bringing a little science to it, uh, showing people that there's really a reason to do this scientifically as well as you know, in practice and what people have been practicing for a long time and, and bridging that. How do we how do we bridge both of those things so that people then 
can get reimbursed for it so you can build it into the system that they're that are working in hmm. um, yeah and um i want to talk about this in a minute but some of the work that you're you're doing a little bit of what Richie Davidson and some of these other people have done around uh, proving the efficacy and the reality of what meditation actually can do and related to neuroscience and so on. And doing this around the, some of these more subtle practices, which were healing modalities, that's a really interesting, I find. But before we do any of that, how did you get to this place, Jeff? How did, how did it open up where you thought... I mean, because it's unusual, you know. You're you're a practitioner, and mm -hmm. you are you've been in the business world. You have been mm -hmm. in the you know uh, philanthropic world. You know, you're in a some interesting bisectional kind of is that a word? But uh, crossing over from one thing to another crossover. Yeah, but how did you? You know, I'm talking when you were like just developing as a teenager and so on. And what are the things that uh, sparked your interest? particularly around the idea that, uh, especially with the work you're doing with these new he healing modalities, just around mm -hmm. the idea that there is a, that deeper truth inside of all of us that uh, is a little bit buried. I was born a Southern Baptist, and oh. my parents then became Presbyterian and Methodist. And then mm. by the time I was 12, my parents were not Southern Baptists anymore, so I was never even baptized. Um, and I guess I was a searcher ever since asking the questions about what is, you know, infinity and, and what is creating this. And so I've always been a spiritual searcher of some shape or form. And, uh, um, that feeling of flow state where I got from playing music with others, I was mm. playing in all sorts of bands. I kept looking for that. That kept drawing me to, oh, that's, that's what I'm looking for. You know, I was a bit of a nerd and in uh, in school and and uh, saying you know what is that feeling about you know how do we think about that and uh you know started reading carlos castaneda when i got to college and <laughs> and uh uh was a minor in, in psych uh, i was you know in accounting and computer science but you know minor in psych and started thinking about out-of-body experiences my first meditation was 1973 and in, in the dell at university of virginia and um you know, it seems like we all remember our first meditation. You know, most of the times, so those are at, at dinners we have. Well, I had one with Sharon, and everybody remembered oh, yeah. exactly what kind of where we were there or where we were. So, you know, then uh, uh, I did a first paper on Kirlian photography, which is study of energy fields around the human body. That. Wow, nineteen that was nineteen seventy three as well, and and so I was. I was trying to figure out how do I go out of body? You know, what, what is that about? How do we relax the entire body? <clears throat> Eventually took a, took a course, um, uh, in New York from Joseph Campbell and uh, oh, really? learned about comparative religion and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, was Unitarian and then became Buddhist about 30, 35 years ago and, uh, found some great teachers, um, as we have in common, some of them, um, from Sharon to um, Joseph K Joseph Goldstein to uh, Jack Kornfeld. To, uh, I went on the first retreat with Jack, and uh, that was long ago. And so uh, uh, continued to say, you know, what is this thing uh, about self-actualization, Maslow's hierarchy? How do we how do we work on that? Um, what is this thing called enlightenment, which we now? You know, I remember Joseph said, uh, 
he finally figured out the answer when people said, are you enlightened? He said, no, I'm on the path. And so I guess we're just still on the path, right? We're mm -hmm. still all working to try to figure this out. And so trying to, to say I was private equity venture capital for 25 years and Vice Chairman J.P. Morgan and um, was a practitioner all along the way and was meditating. While you were doing, while you were at J.P.? I was doing the work, yeah. And uh, and trying to introduce it to others and um, involved in in yoga too. and and uh um understanding who good partners were you know the, the things about uh, having a managed ego and uh, good listening skills and uh, able to work together as a partner for something greater than yourself to me that's spiritual and mm. starting to learn from the different traditions mm. i uh i guess i learned to meditate from uh, deepak chopra's uh, i was on his foundation board for a while and uh so use mantras to start with um, when I was doing that practice and, and kept learning about open awareness and, and loving kindness. So uh, have continued to learn and started to find different tools, breathing practices and movement, um, as well as um, psychedelics we're working on now as to how to integrate them into the tools to lower suffering and enhancing awareness um, mm. down that path. So, uh, yeah, I was on Matthew, psychedelics. Matthew, <laughs> yeah. It's like, there is that, right. You know, and I always, I always thought, you know, during the seventies, everybody was working on using psychedelics and, and, uh, I remember talking to a couple of our friends and they kind of said, uh, yeah, I did that. And, and now I don't need to do that anymore. And I said, mm -hmm. okay, that's, that's good. But I think we're discovering today that the way it was used back in the seventies was not very effective. You know, and we can talk about that, but, you know. Yeah, what do you people... mean by that? Because I wouldn't agree with that. I mean, I'd agree with that in, in, in a general way where people were just parting with it. Exactly. But, uh, but even, I re well, in my own case, it was absolutely devoted not, you know, to be in a setting that was conducive, you know, and uh, maybe sometimes I didn't handle it quite the right way, like, for, I'm just thinking of a crazy thing, but ketamine, right? Which yep. is so effective. I have done podcasts with people who have gone through ketamine therapy, uh, dealing with anxiety and depression. I mean, the 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 rate of cure rate is phenomenal. You know, just phenomenal. So I remember doing it way back in the day and and I, I am addressing where it wasn't right quite you're saying well it wasn't quite done you know shall we say with uh, leary and alpert's proper set and setting yes that's true because i remember taking ketamine and going into um silent movie theaters all day just <laughs> <like that. laughs> yeah oh god so yes, yes no that wasn't a practical application or an application that enhanced the spiritual connectivity which is really what uh, I want to talk to you about at some point. Well, uh, well, I think you, you might have, people might have stumbled into a, a successful use, but can we create the science around it matching with the tools that we've all grown up with and, and mindfulness and meditation and, and yoga to put them together? And can we have a, uh, a therapist with us or a guide or a shaman who, who can really be helpful yeah. in helping us integrate? um helping us prepare so that the experience is not always totally purposeful but it's 
you can, I call guiding the sailboat, right? You can at least have a tiller where you can ride the waves and go in a reasonably positive direction so that there's, there's less, uh, less problems and we can learn from it. I have friends as well who have dramatically succeeded in decreasing depression and anxiety through ketamine uh, treatments. Mm. And there's an amazing work. We're backing a group called MAPS. Um, and they've, Which we uh, know well. Through, and they've gone through, you know, their second trial just got mm. officially released. Yep. And uh, 70% effectiveness in yeah, reducing no, I, I, PTSD to zero. Yeah, yeah. So you're sitting there going, this is good stuff. But yeah. what happens is, there's a there's a great study by Brain Futures, which studies a lot of the psychedelic treatments processes, where they're saying it's the not the molecule that does the fixing. It's the molecule that opens the brain up to your own self-help, your own self-repair. So it's a different kind of therapy than ever done before. They don't just give you, you know, SSIRs and, and say, you know, here you go. Um, things will be better. They say, you know, there is a process where you sit with a therapist and go through multiple experiences and preparation three times in, in the MAPS example of uh, treatment with uh, MDMA and then an integration period. That is what succeeds. Um, and mm -hmm. the right set and setting, absolutely. We're funding, we have a funders group that's working on set and setting with Johns Hopkins and McGill and and UCSF saying, you know, what kind of sound, what kind of nature, what kind of music makes more sense? Mm. How about meditation as a preparation? Does that increase effectiveness? Or as an integrative process after you have an ineffable experience, right? I mean, absolutely. Mindfulness it. and a meditation for sure. I'll tell you, you know, you talked about, you know, people who in the late in the 60s and early 70s were experimenting with psychedelics and you know Albert and Leary of course Ramdas yeah. and all of that uh, I did a podcast with uh, Rick Doblin yeah I've done a couple you know he, he's he's a good good guy he's amazing he's done amazing without him 37 yeah. years later we're finally getting it through yeah exactly 37 years committed to this yeah no amazing amazing so he said yeah you people who uh you know started out taking psychedelics back in the day you know now you're in the boomer generation and you know you're getting closer to the shall we say transitional phase mm -hmm. and uh he said it, i think it would be efficacious for you people to just get reacquainted with the interconnectivity of it all through MD, specifically MDMA, actually. Mm. Mm. And yeah, he suggested that uh, as, uh, and I've been pronouncing that everywhere I go <laughs> to, to my confrere, shall we say. Um, oh, and there was one other thing which really relates here in an in a interesting way, I think. You talked about that which opened you up. Music was a big deal for you. No question. And same for me, Jeff. Absolutely. And I never used this particular word around the experience that I had. But when I was, before I was of drinking age, let's put it that way, somehow somebody got me into a club in Montreal. This is a famous story I've told a billion times, but I want to tell you. And John Coltrane was playing. 
you know, with his quartet, uh, McCoy Tyner, Jimmy Garrison, Elvin Jones. Wow. And, uh, and he played with the soprano, My Favorite Things, which, you know, that very famous song. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what happened. I can't, all I know is I completely remember flow state would be the right word. There was no, I wasn't in discursive thought. Uh, I wasn't, the, the polarity was mostly disappeared, at least in that moment. And I was just, Ramdas is be here now in that moment. And that, translating that into a psychedelic experience where, uh, and I don't even like, the, the word experience is tough because people keep going back. I want that experience again. I want that, you know. And the, I think uh, I like the word flow because it allows one to think about the integration that in the trip, not after the trip, the integration of one's being through this, exp this experience, the ineffable, through the connectivity, which are, you know, to me, the two most crucial things. Aside from, yes, if you're doing a therapeutic thing with ketamine and really working on on the anxiety and depression. I'm talking about healthy, so-called healthy people. Yeah, yeah. And how they go inside and how they allow this flow to open up that lasts beyond the trip. I mean, that to me is the, would be the, the biggest calling card. Well, it's uh, so many people um, come out of it saying, one, there's something more than I know. So it's that spiritual awareness. Yeah. And that curiosity that questioning um and it's the understanding that we are all in this together and we are the same person in different form basically we are the we my personal pronoun is we mm -hmm. you know so how do we kind of figure out you know what we are going to go all do together and so in having that feeling that understanding um that non-dual state where you have an experience of all connected um, even if you go back to norm, <laughs> you remember it. And you right? will. And you will. We will. And you will. Yeah. And you say, I need to, how, did, how, did, how can I do that again? So if I'm working on my meditation, oh, that's what it feels like. Now I maybe more easily can get there or can know what I'm trying to, to shoot for um, and how to talk about it with other people or find other people to do it with, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the next best ingredient uh, here in terms of the spiritual path is sangha yes. buddhists would say sangha the hindu satsang and just plain old community of people who are interested in sharing what uh is beneath the ego shall we say is a more simplistic way of saying it i think that's the great opportunity you know we have this podcast going called system catalyst and we interview people mm. who are these catalytic agents that help unify people around a common cause. And uh, there's there's one set of them that are working on peer-to-peer -peer strategies. Girl Trek is an example. And Girl Trek started 10 years ago, two women saying uh, black women uh, needed to be healthier. And so they said, let's get them to walk together. And so mm. uh, wow. 12 years later, a million and a half African-American women are walking together two or three times a week. In over 120 country, 120 uh, uh, cities around the country, and overseas, and when not only are they healthier, all the stats say it, 
they community organize and they walk, they talk and they talk, they social organize. Mm. And so they have this organization, Girl Trek, which holds them together, starts connecting to each other. They have a podcast on, on uh, black history that they all listen to, many of them listen to, and they start working in their neighborhoods for social good. Mm. And so it's this, it's, it's not just, I, I find, I don't know about you, a sangha or a peer group to be more effective by not just getting together talking, but actually doing something, doing something together. And that's what's holding them over long periods of time uh, together. And that to me is a little bit of Mahayana Buddhism strategy, which is, you know, work on your own wisdom. But if if you keep working on wisdom and it doesn't bend you to compassion, mm, and if that yeah, doesn't we, bend you to action, yeah. then what's the point? Yeah. And there's so talking? many people locked into the wisdom. And I find those peer-to-peer groups, the sanghas and others with purpose, bending toward action because of that compassion orientation to be uh, really interesting and really interesting affordable models for change you know we're looking to to help support you know on the donor side yeah um some of this work that you've been doing around it, it really interests me around subtle energy and bio biofield healing practices yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about how you got into that aspect of your life and work actually well, I've always been interested um, from, I remember I mentioned uh, Kirlin photography, you know, saying, what is what is more here? What is that feeling? I did some several years of Tai Chi and and moving energy is part of that that Qigong Tai Chi process mm. in, in, in ancient Chinese thought. And then uh, um, starting to uncover that there are Reiki, there's Reiki, there's Barbara Brennan's healing strategies, there's healing touch, there's Qigong models. And so people have been using these healing tools um, for a number of thousands of years. And um, today, it's a billion-dollar market. There's lots of people doing the work, but there's very little science to it. And yeah, so that's the key, right? I mean, that's what I, I looked at and saw how you were applying a science to uh, to really confirm the reality of its effect, efficacy. Especially since you, if you just go through some of the different uh, topics of uh, potential, you know, for your sound healing and thought field and shamanic healing, you know, you're going to get from people, whoa, more woohoo, huh? Exactly. Right? More crystal stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and isn't that, you know, when we first saw the earth from the moon in Apollo 8, right? It changed everything. Mm. the whole earth catalog came out and people started looking at the whole earth is 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 really understanding that and then we had the hubble telescope and now we got the james webb and the james webb is showing us the universe in infrared we would not be seeing any of this without technology that helps us see things that are already out there and so isn't that what subtle energy probably is because I have, I am totally convinced, many others are as well, uh, and I've seen it, amazing healing occurring by healers through touch, as well as energy not touching the body, but near the body, as in Reiki style. And I've seen it remote, when we're trying to figure out what models those are. But are these waves that we just haven't seen yet? 
And so he said, let's invest in trying to image the biofield. Let's try to figure out how to take a picture of it and maybe do like James Webb and we'll use infrared, photonic, maybe do electric magnetic. Maybe start figuring out there's other ways that we need to visualize to see through other tools. And so let's invest in that. So we have a group of about 15 of us that have gathered together to help fund that work and fund that strategy. And, you know, Abby Ross, who's one of the senior people at Google and Chris Hahn, who's a major uh, investor in uh, London, another one, um, Matthew, Matt Harris and, and Austin Hurst and a variety of others, because we're all interested in saying, what is going on here? What are we feeling when we're doing this Tai Chi work? What are we feeling when we're doing a ketamine experience? And you're actually not only seeing, you're feeling energy around your body. And so let's show how these healers are working. And so we've also invested with the uh, uh, University of Utah, Harvard in a carpal tunnel study, study saying, how are healers actually changing and reducing pain? And let's start adding science to that. Let's start visualizing what's going on. How are people seeing energy fields? You know, how are they perceiving that and what fields are they seeing? And so let's add science to it. And then let's bring, we just had a research gathering two weeks ago at Menla. And we had 25 researchers from all of the country come together. And they hadn't worked together before. And they started saying, oh, you're interested in this too? Let's write a paper on that. Or let's actually have some control studies done. And this is exactly how we did and worked on the mindfulness movement. This is how we funded the work on default mode network. This is what Richie kind of worked on with the MRIs. This is what Mind Life has been working on for a number of years, helping bring the researchers together. So why don't we do the same thing in the subtle energy movement? Why don't we start adding that science, but listening to practitioners and not telling them what's going on, but asking them how they're pursuing it, what they're perceiving, and then let's bring the researchers in as well and have them learn from each other. And that's what a catalyst does. You know, we have David Liebson and Meredith um, who are working on our team who are be able to bring together these different parties and study this question with the objective of saying let's add more science to it so then it can be brought into more standard healthcare treatments and treatment systems. And it is, slowly but surely it is. And so instead of 50 years, <laughs> which is what how long it took for for mindfulness to get reimbursed and totally integrated into, into practice, um, let's let's try to make it a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're working on. Well, how do how do you gauge th- uh, through science scientific experimentation? Praying, how about this? Praying for the welfare of others, which so many people do, and so many people debunk. Uh, or there's a third group, I would say, people that do it and are hoping. Right, they have no connectivity with the potential reality of how vibrations, every even even a thought that you have in your head, has an effect. And so these are kind of three. How are you uh, working this out in this particular case, or is this one thing that you haven't figured a way uh, to prove scientifically that it's real? We haven't studied prayer yet. However, we are studying uh, remote healing. And that means healing from a distance. And Mm. uh, there's some work being done at 
um, MD Anderson Cancer Center and funded by my uh, co-founder, Jason Dutupoulos, um, on uh, healers going to uh, cancer cells and on half the cancer cells remotely, as in 10, 15 feet, focusing on healing for those cells. And what happens is those cells go senescent. In other words, they go quiet. They stop dividing. So this isn't t- touching the body, right? This is not, remote. Not touching at all. It's yeah. it's stepping away. Yeah. And so you're sitting going, what's happening? Is your energy actually going that 10, 15 feet? Or is he remotely able to focus on those cells themselves and change the, what's happening within them? And is that, some people think, quantum effect? Is that this remote molecules able to connect to each other you know this is what uh, remote viewing is about you know when Merwinsborner Institute's doing work on and others and so we're trying to say let's do some experiments to start studying that because what we're seeing right now with cells and now they're going to have it with mice is it does seem to have effect and a healing effect and I and I drive a lot of these back to to uh, to healing um, and healthcare um because that's kind of the core of everything it frees us up you know it frees us up to then self-actualize and, and work on a lot of the other issues so then you sit there going how do i connect you know this healing strategy and start understanding you know there there are these chakras are there different healing modes where um ayurvedic healing comes through and they do hands-off healing as well and so we start understanding their way they're able to realign chakras and what has it does that have any healing effect as well so we're just a couple of years into the process and we're starting to fund these work and we have to we had to one figure out you know <laughs> what the questions were we had two to figure out who cares about the same problem and mm-hmm. questions and find out researchers that are interested in working on these because it was it is a little strange still today and so finding researchers <laughs> who at Harvard, who are at Harvard mm-hmm. or who are at Utah, who are yeah. at Emory and and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Wake Forest and others who we have, all starting to unify them and bring them together because uh, uh, we all want to work on these problems. So and I, the, you know, I'm going on a retreat, you know, at the end of the month over to Mallorca, uh, Spain, and there's oh. a healer there that teaches people how to start understanding energy fields of their own, and she says self heal. Hmm. And, you know, is this placebo work? I don't know. You know, is this kind of like, you know, gee, you have an intention and your body will have the confidence to heal itself. You know, is that a placebo or is that just understanding how to refocus your energy back? Hmm. We're, we're going to figure that out. When you do the experiments, uh, somebody is 15, 20 feet away and they're yeah. sending healing vibrations through their yeah. mind. Is that person a primarily is a shamanistic person one way or the other, a healer in that sense of the word? Yes, they're typically healers. There's all sorts of different healers. We're trying to figure out is uh, we, you know, we have a hypothesis that says that those doing Qigong tend to be more electromagnetic. Hmm. They tend to also kind of relate to what the research has been around acupuncture and others. So that may be a depleting energy going from one person to another and they have to reboost the energy fields. Um, there could be others using photonic fields and they have the skill to bring energy from the outside and pass it through themselves so they don't deplete their own energy. Um, so there's a lot of hypotheses as how this might happen. 
Um, there's a question about how far from the from the from the place you're trying to treat can you work, and and if it's you know 100 miles away, uh, it's certainly no wave that we can measure. Um, so then you use these random number generators to say what is there an effect happening while people are being healed that may be quantum. Because what happens if you have random number generators around the human body during a treatment mm. is they go non-random. All of a sudden you start tracking them and they're not random anymore, which is like literally impossible. So you sit here going, okay, something's affecting them, you know, in the quantum space. Mm. So these are all just really interesting questions that I love working on puzzles. I love working on <laughs> these complex kind of system questions. And I find this one, you know, one of those that that are that are that are pretty interesting, and I think it will have an impact as we come back and try to integrate in our mindfulness work, our body movement work, and to being able to give people the ability to start working and understanding confidently that they can heal themselves. Mm. You know, there's a through line from our experience in India, meaning Ram Das, Krishna Das, myself, and Danny Goldman, who you you know as yep. well. Yep. And that through line encompasses the core of what you are just referring to regarding the uh, vibrations that get created one way or another through all of these modalities. I mean, the easiest one is sound healing. I mean, there's no one that can't sit down just with a gong and allow that vibration to go on, close their eyes, is not going to be pulled in. I mean, it, it's to me, and, to, and into a flow state. Just one gong, one Tibetan singing bowl. So that, to me, is the most powerful representation of the reality. We did a, but this was the other part, which uh, combines the deep meditative practice that we've, we've been talking about as well as an integration tool following the ineffable experience, the interconnective experience of a psychedelic. We did a movie, uh, part of Love, Serve, Remember, and came out last year called Brilliant Disguise, the Samadhi of K.C. Tuari. You would love it, Jeff, actually. Because mm. it, it also it includes a little bit of history of how we got to India following Ramdas the second time he went back and what that was like and what our experience was. And part of that experience was meeting this man, K.C. Tuari, who was a school teacher. He's actually a head of a, a boys' school in, in the biggest town in that district. And he would go, uh, he, we would be sitting around with him, with Neem Karoli Baba, and he would, uh, as we called him Maharaji, would just glance over to Tuari, and Tuari would go into a deep samadhi state. I don't, is it Turiya? I, you know, there's all sorts of qualifications about how far mm -hmm. that state is. But he would, you know, he would say, well, what's wrong with him? You know, he would, you know, he would just mm -hmm. be jiving us and take his pulse. He had no pulse, he had no breath. I mean, he was completely, you know, it was extraordinary. Wow. So we experience directly the power of the reality of transmission. Yeah. Yep. So all of the, everything, you know, I am completely, of course, uh, I don't even know what the word is. It, I, it's experience. So I'm not thinking it's true or not true. <laughs> you know, it is. It's an is as far as I'm concerned. But 
I love the fact that you are doing what's absolutely necessary, which is to substantiate the reality of these modalities. And, and people can s- loosen up a little bit and get away from the cynical, uh, you know, it can't be real. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just new age or whatever right. people think about. Right. With the, right. Yeah, so I, I got to say, keep on trucking on that one. Yeah. Well, and, and having people so that they still are open to new ideas, open to change. So if what we're also working on a little bit is are, are people who are being treated, does it change it if they are more open to the experience? Mm. If they're locked in saying, ah, oh, this is not going to work. Yeah. Then they potentially have a wall up, right? Yeah. There could be this, this energetic wall that won't can't get through. But if you're saying, ah, yeah, I, I'm open to this, you know, let's see how this works. Or I have strong confidence it's going to work. Then it increases the odds of success. Mm, just openness, openness, right, is so key. The curiosity, and it lowers yeah. the fear. You know, your fear, you know, creates that blockage, you know, kind of as well. So, no, I think, you know, having people explore with each other. And then also, not everybody's the same. And isn't that, I think that's one of the opportunities that we're all continue to work on, you know, and Bridgeville are trying to support it and others, which is how do we have people who are these catalysts, these therapists, these shamans, these others who can look at you and kind of go, you need a little of this. Mm-hmm. I think the Maharishi understood that, right? He's kind of like, okay, you need a little bit, you know, try, try, try this, try this strategy or, you know, let me, let me expose you a little bit over here as well. And a good teacher thinks about it. So how do we kind of... S- create this core of people who are able to kind of be those um, concierge <laughs> of, yeah. uh, of access to these Con- concierge well. of flow the concierge <laughs> de flow <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's what we need a lot more of yeah no absolutely I mean isn't that feeling you know I remember you know at a, at a, a Kahoot concert where we had in, in Berkeley you know where we had 20 what 22,000 people all singing Bob O'Reilly together mm. And you just knew you just were in another place. You were yeah. present, you were connected, and that flow is 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 valuable. At, at uh, MIT, at MIT and uh, Harvard, they've done studies on Alzheimer's uh, cells, and they're arguing over the exact hertz. But it's forty to fifty hertz seems to destroy or stop the Alzheimer's from continuing to grow, from mm-hmm. the neurons being being killed and so you're saying so sound can be used as therapeutic treatment on cells for sure yeah and so it's definitely happening in our bodies and that you know kirtan you know you you've used it for how, how many decades <laughs> <laughs> you know i remember with with uh, ram das in the in the middle of the room in hawaii right mm. and uh people just going to another level you know having yeah. having kirtan experiences right yeah. that's a healing experience in my in, in my view absolutely a billion percent. Krishna Das, who just did a weekend in New York of that, I mean, and his audience has grown extraordinary, in an extraordinary way, because people, and the kind of healing we're talking about, you know, we're not just talking about healing the mortal body. We are talking about healing, uh, healing us to a place where we are more connected with our true nature soul whatever you want to call that thing that there's only one thing that's the what we learned from neem karoli baba is 
sub ek. There's one thing going on. You know, call it has all kinds of different names, and that's the beauty of being in a human body. You have the advantage of of being able to uh, gravitate to that which makes the most sense for you. You know, with Buddhism and Hinduism and um, you know Christianity, all of it. And uh, so that is uh, a wonderful, wonderful advantage. I wanted to just go back to psychedelics a little bit. Yep. I think I told you this. So we we were at MAPS in Denver. I yep, don't think I was I, there. Yeah, you were there. We just didn't bump yep. into each other then, right? No. Nope. Yeah. Um, and we presented with Naropa. Yep. In one case, and you know, uh, Chuck Leaf is a wonderful yeah, guy. Yeah, totally beautiful, and he he spoke with us, and uh, in our he was part of the presentation, and then we did something with uh, uh, Dr. Bronner David's gang in yeah. that beautiful space yeah. they created, like Burning Man. It was kind of something else. So anyhow, uh, it started to codify how we can represent what Ramdas represented with psychedelics over basically his entire life, but of course, prominently in the first couple of decades from the time he was experimenting at Harvard with psychedelics. And set and setting, we've you know, mentioned it, and it is extraordinarily um, important and didn't lose any of his, his uh, verve in terms of being able to, to digest psychedelics in a way that would not just be an experience. I think that's, so we came out of this, it's not just the experience. And the addiction problem with experiences is very high, as we all know. You know, it can be, Yeah. we, get, we all get addicted to something or other. I learned this through Gaber Mate, by the way. You, mm. Yeah, you know who he is. Right? Yeah, great. of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we did a podcast and he basically, I mean, he was saying, well, addiction has not to, is this, you know, forget heroin and cocaine and crap, whatever. That's, let's get down to the real brass tacks. What did you do? He says to me, what did you do? Uh, you know, cause I had, to, uh, what was your trauma? You know, we all go through some kind of trauma, even if it is suddenly just getting a name and going, you know, you get your name, you realize I'm a separate individual. I'm separate. I'm in my case, Mitchell back then, <laughs> and who's everybody else, and how do I relate with them? Whatever it is, there is that. It's part of our human um, predicament. Is tr trauma is there? So he asked me what happened, and I had a very, uh, 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 shall we say, a father that was uh, entirely uh, like a tyrant, and uh, you know, and I just was a rebel, and we got into that syndrome, and anyhow, he said, "Well, what did you do to suit when you were really a, you know, uh, into becoming a teenager? What did you do to soothe yourself?" And I said, "I don't know. I, I uh, football. I love football. <laughs> you played and, it, and I I played it mostly touch, too small to <laughs> to play, uh, you know, with pads and." Um, Anyhow, but basically it ended up, not just the playing of it, I remembered that just seeing it on television, the green field and the lines and the crowd and the, the whole ambience of it kind of calmed me down because I had used that uh, as a way to really... Treatment. Yeah, 
is a treatment, you know, and that was that that was an amazing thing to me. But uh, yeah, so it's not about the uh, constant uh, wanting to go back to the experience. So we, what what are the other things? I mean, Ramdas was particularly um, moved to activate the divine presence inside of him. However, you know, we can, the Buddhists would call, you know, Buddha mind, activating that place. Because once that gets activated, then we have what, what my deepest experience was that went beyond the psychedelic trip, which was the development of trust and then connectivity to intuition. So that everything then became fabric for growth. There wasn't spiritual, worldly. I mean, you've done a wonderful job. You've you've really integrated these different aspects of of your being. You know, doing the kind of philanthropy, working. You know, in the real world at J.P. Morgan, if you want to. You know, <laughs> and yeah, then exactly. and and then doing the kind of internal practice that you've done over the years and devoting yourself to really. Uh, trying to broaden the uh, access for people t- to modalities like uh, the subtle energy uh, field that would allow people to, to move into healing. It's getting situation. off the, you know, getting off that, as you say, um, the addiction of the treatment, you know, how many people say I have the way, you know, that we have people we've backed in, in different deals in the past and in, in bridge builders where they had spiritual egos. Like I have the way, yeah. Follow me, yeah. and you kind of like. Well, let's talk to some others that have other ways, and maybe we can come up. No, I don't want to listen to anybody else. And so you're going. All right, we got a problem because there is no way, right? There's there's a right way for each person and how they evolve that, but also there's not one answer. And so if I have one treatment, then what do I do next? How do I integrate that? How do I work together with others to to uh, to, to build it in so it's healthy, so I could continue to to grow, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, um, when they had some leadership models, you know, it's the top of it's self-actualization, right? Safety mm-hmm. at the bottom, self-actualization. Well, they kept talking about maybe there's something above self-actualization, which is working collaboratively with others. Maybe that's a higher level. Maybe somebody who you work with would be that mirror to see, are you full of shit? You know, your, your wisdom path, you know, kind of like it ain't working, you know, <laughs> you're still kind of like a jerk. And so mm-hmm. you need to work on yourself. Mm. And so maybe we need to kind of move into that mode, you know, as we start working on ourselves and using these different tools where we're with others that are peer groups, sanghas help that, but also, you know, your spouse or your friend or whoever they are will kind of be the mirror of yourself and finding others who are as clear a mirror as you, as you can find to reflect back and kind of say, yeah, you need to kind of modify it a little bit, or how does that playing for you? And so how do we can develop those kinds of tools and those kinds of relationships? You know, to me, as we get older, um, you know, I'm 68 now. And so it's even more important to have totally close friendships where you trust each other. And I have more people that I have worked with on these collaborations who are just walls down, Trust me, trust you. Let's go do this together. It's going to be fun and interesting. I'll introduce you to somebody else. You know, to me, that's that's the flow. Yeah. You know, yeah, in development. Yeah. I am totally with you. It's around trust. That's what, I, and I was referring actually 
my first moment of the profundity of what trust meant to me and what I see it means to, to most everybody, uh, to everybody, I mean, it's not most, was with Ramdas. I had, uh, the first day I met him, we were just completely enveloped in, in this space where he wasn't really concerned with Richard Alpert or Ramdas. He was the concern was whatever I needed in that moment. That allowed that trust to happen. That's the and to me, that's what psychedelics, you know, can do if if they are approached properly. You get that idea. Wait a minute, I can trust the universe. I mean, it goes fast forward from maybe an individual or the psychedelic experience or a book or a podcast just sharing with somebody. And that trust gets developed. And then you have way more access to intuition so that you're, you're, you know, you're not double thinking on every damn thing, every move you make. And you, know, you can let go. You know? And you can be happy when someone else is happy. You know, Sharon... <laughs> Salzberg kept saying, you know, sympathetic joy is, mm. you know, a really high level of skill, but important so that somebody else gets their new car and, so, and you're just really happy for them because you don't, you're not envious, you don't care. Mm. But that's not, I don't find that as a common trait one that people <laughs> always would have, right? You know, and, and, I, and I have to say also, um, one of the things that's frustrated me is that we all have been over the last number of years, and we started up Headspace and Bridge Builders and Happify and Insight Timer and a bunch of other things. And I've challenged my partners to go back and kind of say, you know, who are the customers and the members and the people that we've been targeting? They all tend to be middle and upper class mm, white people. Yeah. Right. And you're sitting there going, that's just not appropriate. And two, not the people that really need it. So if we're sitting there going with psychedelics, we've set up collaboration around psychedelic health equity, or we have a number of people and some foundations working on this question, saying, how do we make sure that if the MDMA is authorized by the FDA, which it should be next year, mm. that people who are in the inner city and people who have high ACEs scores and people who are of color and have no income will be able to access it. We'll have access to therapists. We'll have access to the molecules themselves. And is that through more group work? So we're trying to go out into the inner city and find people who are currently doing integrative health and ketamine treatments and saying, how are you doing it now? What do those reimbursement models look like? And mm. how can we learn from that? So when we set up an MDMA strategy and when it eventually uh, legalizes the other psychedelics in, in, in states like Colorado and Oregon and yeah. and uh, Massachusetts. Um, how do we start building those those networks up? And not a lot of people have been spending enough time on that question. Mm -hmm. And so we do talk so much, so much to our own people. <laughs> yeah. How do we start transferring a lot of those skills to those that really probably need it more than we do? Yeah. Uh, although I will say, uh, to say that because this is primarily upscale white folks that are you know invested in these modalities and so on and can afford them i mean the ketamine therapy thing is expensive and is 3500 dollars per pill 
I didn't know it was that expensive. Yes, Whoa. it is. I know, actually, I know somebody involved actually, in, in, in the psychedelic therapy who there's, they've started a, a nonprofit around being able to serve people who cannot afford that kind of uh, uh, pricey treatment. I should put them in touch with you is what I should do. I'm just thinking about it. That'd be great. That'd be yeah, great. I will do that. But, but this else to say, these people are as in need of this kind of therapy as diverse people are. I mean, there's no question about that. The issue is it has to be acceptable. Uh, uh, the ability for people to be able to participate in these kinds of programs from um, diverse uh, neighborhoods, diverse cultures, uh, the fantastic, I mean, just look at, the people that are coming into this country, you know, the immigration thing, which is a huge issue right now. And what what is the trauma? What about that trauma? Entering into yeah. a country like this and not, you know, you see them, you know, they're on the streets in tents. I mean, you know, this, this needs, uh, the first thing they need is shelter and food, never mind, you know, getting at, trauma you know that has to happen in my mind at some point but we're so far away from me even just being able to provide the most basic necessities for people coming into this country and there's so much pushback against it by by the right basically so that's why we go after the veterans because that's supported by republicans mm -hmm. as well as the democrats right mm -hmm. and that's why we have to worry about some of the states that are doing decriminalization that they don't fall into problems because of lack of good therapy, good therapist uh, providing that work. Yeah. And so that's why we have to provide the science to it, but we should not be arrogant in my view and learn we should need to go to the inner city and say, we know how to do this because we don't. We don't know how to go into somebody who has three different quite issues and, and they're right there. How do we learn from how people are bringing healthcare to them today? And how do we work down that path so we get Medicare reimbursement? Yeah. How do we work on group health? These are the big questions. Yeah. How do we fun. train a therapist? How about we, that? I mean, Chuck Leaf at uh, Naropa is training 600 it's, therapists a year yeah. and has yeah. a whole division on this, but that is like, a drop in the bucket, right? That is yeah. so small number of versus the number of people that need it. Need it. And I don't know about your friends, but you know, if they're trying to get a therapy after COVID, if you're trying to find a therapist, good luck, you know? Um, and so how do we create more of those? How do we create, you know, maybe lighter counselors and trainers so that they understand it? How do we use, maybe how do we use AI and technology yeah. to come in and do some early screening in some early, you know, guidance to people so that, you know, they're not just out at, at sea. Yeah. So these are a lot of the really interesting questions, yeah, you know, yeah. Big time. how we kind of yeah, play absolutely. these as well. Well, we could go on about this, couldn't we? Well, we're at the end of this particular session. We'll have to pick it up another time. And uh, I, what I want... What I want to do, Jeff, is make sure, you know, you'll send, I think I already have, but I think I want it in some kind of, you do so much, yep. let's turn people on to ways that they connect with some of the work that you're doing and supporting. And yep. uh, 
Uh, we'll put that in the show notes, everybody, so you can get it. Uh, if they can go to the, the System Catalyst uh, podcast, we'll put that in the show notes. But um, okay. that gives you examples of people who are these catalysts that help unify people around um, mm. what we're working on together. And then, you know, find a way if if you're working in philanthropy or others to to identify, you know, the area of passion you have and, and find other partners to deal with it. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the healthcare world, integrative health world, um, that Ron Das is hopefully going to be happy with that we're working on. Um, is, is some of his uh, uh, children. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. happy to be on this podcast uh, with you. Mm. Have spent yeah. so much time thinking about this. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for being here, Jeff. And long time coming, and I'm glad we. Uh, somehow bumped in oh sharon it's all about sharon sharon said you ought to talk to jeff he's because i was telling her about the psychedelic stuff that we're doing and representing ramdas's yep. uh, you know decades of involvement with and and try and pass some of that on to the next gen as generation as well so again thank you thank well, you honor to sharon and she has her new book coming out this week so we'll have to have people you know check that out too yes absolutely uh so everybody, this is Raghu at Mind Rolling with Jeff, and uh, we shall see you next week on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com, and you can listen to Sharon and watch as well. Sharon does great podcasts now because she talks to a lot of different people. It's not just taken from her talks. And Alan Watts and Ramdas and Jack and Joseph, we got them all, so... Enjoy, and we shall see you next time. Thank you.